Okay, so show of hands, I want to know who saw the original Star Wars A New Hope in theaters. It's like five-ish people, five people. Okay, that's pretty good. Has anybody not seen Star Wars A New Hope? Is there anybody? Wait. Oh my goodness. Whoa. That is mind-blowing to me. Okay. This, okay, this was my, I was assuming that literally there would be nobody that just raised their hand. Uh, shame on all of y'all who raised your hands. <laughs> Assignment is to go home and watch, I guess if you haven't seen that one, you haven't seen any of the Star Wars, probably, maybe see the new ones, which are just like worse versions of the old ones, in my opinion. Anyways, uh, classic film, 98% of the rest of the world has seen this movie. <laughs> you guys need to get on it. Come on, I know this is Rockdale, but come on, get on it. Um, anyways, uh, the example I was going to use here is there's a scene in uh, the movie where Luke Skywalker, you guys I'm sure know who that is, even if you haven't seen the movie, uh, he's flying in his X-Wing around the Death Star. And their mission is to blow up the Death, Spa- the Death Star. There's a very specific place that they need a bomb. Um, and he's flying around and he's getting ready to bomb the exhaust port, which is going to blow up the whole thing. Um, and he's got his little targeting system that flips down. It's like a computer targeting system that flips down, and he's looking through it, and he's getting ready to take his shot, Um, and he hears a voice in his head, and it's Obi-Wan Kenobi, and this is another, he's a Jedi, okay, for all you people. Um, And he's speaking to him, and he's saying, Luke, use the Force. Use the, you guys know what the Force is, right? Okay, use the Force, Luke. Forget the computer system. You have the force within you. Use the force. And Luke Skywalker flips away his computer system and uses the force, aims, and he takes his shot on the target. And he blows up the entire Death Star. One in a million shot. And he uses the force instead of the computing system. Now, what would have happened if Luke Skywalker was like, I'm pretty new at the force. I better not. I'm going to go with what I've trained to do, the science computer targeting system. I'm going to use that, and that's how I'm going to take my shot. What would have happened? He would have missed the shot just like the guy before him missed. And the Death Star wouldn't have been destroyed, and Luke probably would have died, and the galaxy would be controlled by Darth Vader. Right? He put his trust in the Force. If he would have put his trust in the computer targeting system, none of, none of the, the rest of the movies wouldn't exist. Okay? Um, there's a lot of movies now too so that's a lot of money that just down the drain if you use that computing system um, so that if, if that story if, if he would have used the computing system instead of trusting in the force that's basically kind of what we're about to read about here in the Bible um, it's kind of what the disciples do they, they, they tend to put their trust in the wrong thing um, so let's read with me we're in the book of Mark if you didn't know that we've been going through it we're on chapter 9 now Um, And we're going to start off in verse 14. Um, And just before before I read this passage, um, last week we had Jesus take Peter, James, and John up on the mountain, and there's the transfiguration of Jesus um, in all of his glory. That's kind of what we talked about last week. Um, And that's that's where we left it off. They're up on the mountain, right? Um, And so we're going to pick up here and read this story about Jesus uh, healing a boy or casting out a demon 
um, from a boy. Um, So read with me starting in verse 14. We're going to read through 29. Um, It says, And and when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, What are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. He answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus answered him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that the crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Okay, so even in the book of Mark so far, we've seen Jesus perform miracles. We've even seen the disciples do some casting out of demons. Um, So we've seen kind of this type of story a little bit before. Um, So why is this story in the book of Mark? Why is this included in chapter 9 of Mark? Um, Is it just another story saying that Jesus has power over demons? Um, Is that the takeaway from this lesson? It's easy for us to look at a story like this, recognize it as just another miracle, um, and kind of skim over it and not really think about what what we're to learn from it. Um, So when we analyze a passage like this, it's really important for you to be asking the question, what is it in here that God wants me to learn from? What is it about this story in particular that God was trying to say something to me about? Um, I think for this particular passage, um, it kind of depends on which of the characters in this passage you most relate to. Now, for sure, there's a a common theme in this passage for each of the characters that we'll kind of look at, um, and that is faith. Um, This passage is about faith, strength of faith. Um, But depending on kind of where you are in life, where you are in your walk with the Lord... Um, there are specific uh, groups of people, types of people in this passage that you may find yourself relating to more than others. And so we're going to take a look at uh, each one of the, each of these three types of people um, and how, like, what you can learn from the story based on, on what these people have learned in the story. Um, so the first group of people that you might find yourself relating to in this passage, I say group of people, this is just one person. It's the father of the boy. Okay, um, let's look at it from his point of view. He's got a son who is possessed by a demon. Um, and it says he was possessed from early childhood. So this could be years, right, that he's been possessed by a demon. Um, this isn't like any common illness. Like, you've, you've seen the symptoms of these. They're pretty bad symptoms. But this isn't like an illness. 
that you can treat with medicine, go to a doctor for. Um, there's not really a cure for demon possession. This man has probably been battling with this demon for I don't know how long, um, and he's, he's desperate for somebody to save his son. Um, so put yourself in his shoes for a minute and think like, okay, so there's not really anybody that can help your son, except then you start hearing about this Jesus guy. Jesus has been performing miracles. He's been casting out demons. So has, has his disciples. Um, and you're thinking, oh, like this, is, this might be our shot. This may be the one person who can save my son um, from the demon that is inside of him. And so he, he, travel, he takes his son and he travels to where Jesus is said to be. Um, and when he arrives, Jesus isn't there. Right? Jesus is up on the mountain with Peter, James, and John. So he arrives to where he thinks Jesus is going to be, and Jesus isn't there, but his disciples are there, other than Peter, James, and John. His disciples are there, and so he walks up to him, and he's like, hey, I got this boy here, and he's possessed by a demon. Um, I've heard about the things that you can do. Can you help us? And the disciples are like, yeah, we got this. And they try, and they try, and they can't cast out the demon. They fail at casting out the demon. Think of, it, think of it this way, like if you are a parent and you have a child who is sick, okay, and you go to a hospital, and, and the first person, you bring them into the room and they're checking them out, and the first person that's checking them out is, he's fresh out of med school, he's like a, he's doing his like intern, I don't know what they call it, a residency, um, and he's the first person that checks you out, and he looks at your kid who's sick, and he's like, yeah, there's nothing we can do. Like, it's just going to spread, and it's just going to get worse and worse, and eventually, like, there's nothing we can do for your son. That's kind of what this man was dealing with. He took him to the one place he thought he might have a chance at getting rid of this demon. And they, they said, we can do it, and then, and then they, they couldn't do it. He watched him try, and he watched him fail. That's got to be, a, like, a crushing feeling, knowing that your one chance is kind of, like, just failed. But then Jesus shows up on the scene. And he, they're arguing about things. And Jesus comes up and he's like, what, what's, this, what's this rubbish that's going on here? Like, what's, what are you guys fighting about? And the man says, I've brought my son to you. He's possessed by a demon. I brought him to your disciples and they could not cast him out. Um, and the disappointment on Jesus' face is immediate. He's like, oh, you faithless generation. He's bring him to me. And so they bring the boy to him. And he looks at him and, and the boy's like, writhing around, possessed by a demon. And Jesus says, how long has he been like this? And the father says, oh, he's been like this from childhood. It, it throws him into fire and water. It's trying to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus immediately like, sees something wrong with what he's saying there. If you can do anything, please have compassion on us. This is Jesus he's talking to. And he says, if you can do anything, the father, having just watched the disciples fail at casting out the demons, has little faith that Jesus can do any better. He doubts Jesus' ability to save his son. And Jesus realizes this. He realizes, you do not have faith that I can do this. And he asks him, if you can, anything is possible for those who believe. That's his response to this man who has just shown that he does not believe very well. Now, now, this response, we have to be careful with it. Anything is possible for those who believe. A lot of people take this passage and they think, oh, it's just a matter of how, 
strong your faith is about how powerful you can be. So, for example, if I pray really earnestly and I have a lot of faith that I can cure somebody from stage 4 cancer, and it just is a matter of how full of faith I am, and if I have enough faith, then I can heal you. That's not really the right attitude. See, anything is possible for those who believe, but that doesn't mean that God is just going to do whatever you want if you have the right amount of faith. You have to be careful when we make, you know, God asks us to make requests to him, but it needs to be in accordance with his will. If we make requests that are really about what we want, then that's not really advancing the kingdom of God. That's not what God intends for us to be asking for. But Jesus does say anything is possible for those who believe. And the father immediately cries out and he says, I believe, I believe, help my unbelief. This is a really interesting answer for the father. I think most of us in that situation, our response would be, I believe, help my son. Instead, he's, his response is, I believe, but not, not a ton. Help me to believe. He recognizes that he has doubts. And he brings them before Jesus. And Jesus really likes this answer. This father is being really truthful about what's inside of him. He's got very little faith. But he asks Jesus, help me with my faith. And so Jesus has compassion on this man. And as we see, he, he heals the boy. Um, and that, not only does he, does he have compassion and heal the boy, but that act of casting out the demon from his boy had to have strengthened that father's faith. Right? It started out with, I believe, help my unbelief. But then he walked away with a son who is free from demons, and I'm sure his faith was destroyed, was restored to a high level. Okay? If you relate to the father, you may be relating to him because you have doubts. It's really common for Christians, no matter how long you've been a Christian, to have doubts about your faith. Um, but what we need to understand is that one of the worst things we can do is deny that we have doubts. If we have doubts, we need to come to God with those doubts. Oftentimes, you could even pray these exact words that the Father uses. Say, God, I believe, but help my unbelief. Help me through these doubts. The good news is that Jesus has compassion on the Father who clearly has doubts. Jesus came not for the righteous, but for the sinners. And that includes those who struggle with faith. They have just a little bit, and Jesus has compassion on them. That's the first type of person that you may relate to in this passage. The second um, that you may be relating to is the boy who is demon-possessed. And that's, you got to be careful here, I'm not saying that you may relate to him in, in the way that you have a demon or something like that. Um, but let me explain what I mean here. Um, by this. You may, just like the boy, be completely hopeless. Be completely trapped in sin and hopelessness of salvation. So this boy had been struggling with demon possession since he was a child. You know, we read about you know, the symptoms like foaming at the mouth, grinding his teeth, rigidness, jumping into fires and you know, lakes, destructive behavior. And this boy had been dealing with it for years. There's nothing he could do to rid himself of the demons. There's no hope for this boy. That is until Jesus enters the scene. In the same way, 
we may relate to this boy because we know that we are without hope. See, we're all sinful beings. And God says that the punishment for sin is death, separation from him in hell. In the same way, we have all been this boy at one time or another. We struggle with sin and we think maybe we can save ourselves, but we can't. But once again, just like Jesus entered the scene here and cast out the demon from this boy, Jesus can enter the scene in your life. He's actually already done the work. The work is done on the cross. He's done all the work that needs to be done for you to be saved. He he extends his grace to you. Um, In the same way, even though we are hopeless because of our sin, God has provided us a way to be saved through Jesus. Um, So you may relate to the boy in that you don't know Jesus yet. before Before the boy meets Jesus, he is completely without hope. There's no way for him to be saved. In the same way, before we meet Jesus, there's no way for us to be saved. If you don't know Jesus today, if you don't know him as your personal Lord and Savior, then you are like the boy. Not because you're possessed by demons, but because you are hopeless and without a way of salvation. And the third type of person that you may relate to today, um, and this is the person that I see myself in most um, currently. I've definitely been in, 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 I've been the boy before, before I was Christian, I was the boy. I've definitely gone through times of doubt. I'm sure I will more in the future. Uh, but, but today, right now, I see myself most um, in the last category of people that you may relate to, and that is the disciples. Um, the disciples here have a really interesting story, I think. Um, as we've gone through Mark, we've already seen in Mark 6, uh, this was weeks ago, we went through Mark 6, and Jesus sends out the disciples two by two, and he gives them authority over the unclean spirits to cast them out, right? But now, in chapter 9, we see them struggle to cast out a demon. So even though they've done it before, they fail to do it here. So put yourself in their shoes. Like that's, that's got to be kind of frustrating, right? Um, even as we see Jesus enter upon the scene, there's fighting. There, there's, they're, they're arguing. Because the disciples were brought a boy with an unclean spirit, and they said, we can take care of that. And then they failed. And then it says the scribes were arguing with them. What do you think they were arguing with them about? How dare these mortal men claim to have power over spirits? That's what the scribes are arguing with them about. And the disciples, they've done it before. They've cast out spirits. They know they can do it. So they claim, yeah, we can do that. And then the scribes see them fail. So they start arguing about it. And the disciples are probably pretty embarrassed. They've probably got a little bit of pride hurt in them. And that brings out defensiveness. So the the disciples are arguing back with the scribes, and then Jesus enters the scene, and he's like, what are you guys arguing about? That's when the father tells them the situation, brought my son, and they they said they could cast him out, but they couldn't. Um, So if you're the disciples, you're pretty embarrassed, right? You've done this before, but you're failing now. Why is it that they failed now? Why is it that they've done it before, but now that they can't do it? Jesus answers this in the last couple um, verses 
of this section, when, when they ask him, they sort of ask Jesus, why could we not cast out the Spirit? And Jesus looks at them, and he's like, he answers, he's like, this kind can only be driven out through prayer. Um, another, you know, in Matthew 17, it's kind of the parallel, it's the same story told through the eyes of Matthew, I guess. Um, and in that version, Jesus says, it's because you have such little faith. You know, both, both ways, they're kind of, they seem different. One's about prayer, one's about faith. They're really equivalent. The disciples didn't rely on God to cast out that demon. The disciples entered that situation and were like, I've done this before, I can do it now. Look at me go. They tried their best to cast out the demon. They relied on their own skills and experience, and they failed because of it. They had little faith. They decided not to include God in the situation. That's why they failed. Um, what does this look like in our own lives? Like, How can we relate to the disciples? I don't, I don't think most of us are casting out demons very often or trying to. Um, so what does this look like in our own life? Um, I think the best way to describe it is something that Matt, I was talking with Matt uh, this Wednesday, last Wednesday, something like this. And we talked about it, and he was like, okay, I've, you know, I've been to seminary. I'm seminary educated. I've been working for years in the church. I've, do, I've done, you know, I've prepared sermons weekly for years. I could sit down, and without including God in the picture, without relying on him to help me do it, I can tell you I have the skill set to write up a sermon and preach it on Sunday. And it'll be theologically accurate. It'll be a good sermon, and I haven't included God in the picture. He can do that. He's had the experience. He's had the education. He knows how to do that. But what he's done is he's cut God out of the picture, and that's going to lack power. That's going to make his sermon, even though it technically may be correct, it's going to lack the power of the Lord behind it. It's going to lack the power to impact lives, change lives. In the same way, like, most of y'all aren't in full-time ministry, but at the same time, you're called to ministry. I'm sure that each and every person in here can go to work, clock in, do everything that they need to do for that day, clock out and go home and call it a day, and they will have done their job to what they need to do. They, they will have done everything that was required in their job, and you can do that without including God in the picture. But we're called to more than just getting the job done. We're called to ministry. If you aren't including God in every aspect of your life, you're going to be failing at doing ministry while at work. There are tons of opportunities at work for you to recognize somebody that you need to minister to, but if you are not including God in the process, then what you're doing is you're just relying on what you know to do. You're just clocking in, doing work, and going home and calling it a day. We're called to so much more than that as Christians. It's easy for us to go through life not relying on God, not including God in every aspect. We come to church on Sundays, get our church God time in, right? And then sometimes even we'll have you know, our own daily devotions that we do before we go to bed or maybe as we wake up in the morning. But it's easy for us to cut God out of the picture for everything else. God wants to be included in every aspect of our life. He wants to empower us to do ministry wherever we are in life. 
If you are like the disciples, then you'll rely on just what you know to do, what you've done before. You'll get the job done, but you won't really, you'll lack God's power behind you. In the disciples' case, it, it, it had more of an effect because what they were trying to do, they literally couldn't do. But in your case, you may survive, you may get through the day, but you're not living up to what God has planned for you. God wants to be included in your life in every aspect. He wants you to draw on His power, to have faith in Him, to go through each day with a ministry mindset. That's what God wants for you. So as we look at this passage, and as you go home today, I want you to think about who it is that you relate to right now um, in this passage. Do you relate to the father who has doubts? You a doubter right now. It's okay if you are. The important thing is you need to admit that to God. Allow God to enter your life and help you with your doubts. The message for you, if you relate to the Father today, if you have doubts today, the message for you is that Jesus had compassion on this Father. He had compassion on the doubter. And he helped restore his faith. So the message to you is that Jesus has compassion for doubters. Or if today you relate with the disciples and you tend to rely on yourself more than you rely on God, if you tend to go through the motions of life without including God in what you're doing, the message for you is stop. Just stop. Include God in every aspect of your life. Allow Him him to be a part of your work, of your ministry everywhere. And if you are more like the boy in this story, Maybe you know that you're a sinner today um, and that you are helpless and hopeless. You relate more to the boy in this story. And the, the message for you is that Jesus has already done the work to save you. You are hopeless, but only because you don't know Jesus. But Jesus wants you to know him. He's offering you, he's extending his grace towards you. And you, it's not too late. Today could be the day for you to realize I am hopeless because I have sin in my life. But thank you, Jesus, for coming and saving me from my sin. And the way he did that is by living a perfect life on earth and then being crucified on the cross. The Bible says the penalty for sin is death, and that's what Jesus did. He had no sin in him, so he could take our punishment for sin upon himself. He died on the cross so that we could be saved. The message for you, if you are like the boy in this story, is that God saved the boy. And he's also done the work to save you. All it takes from you is a little bit of faith in him that he has done the work. That he has saved you. So as you go home, think about which one you are and and what you need to work on. What aspect of your faith you need to be working on. No matter who you are, if you're a doubter, Jesus had compassion for doubters. If you're the boy, Jesus saved the boy. If you're a disciple, please work on including God in every aspect of your life. Let's pray.